going to be. So grab your Bibles, go there. Let me say this. You're going to start hearing while you're turning. We're going to start hearing over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, and so that in the next couple of months, we as staff have really become kind of uh, excited and passionate about something. And it's really going to something we believe that God has, has called us to here. And, and in that, uh, it's going to require some culture change within us. And culture is always hard to change. But, but we're going over the next couple months to just kind of invite you to hear our hearts. We're going to have some opportunities for you uh, to sign up and, and attend smaller groups where you can just come and hear about it and hear about where we believe God has taken us. And we're really excited about that uh, as we make this place a home. Uh, because one thing everybody needs, everybody needs a home. And so we're, we're, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Just want to give you a little heads up. Maybe you've heard a little bit about it uh, already, but you'll be seeing more come of that. We have been talking over this entire month about a, building a life worth living. And, and to do that, we've been going through the book of Philippians, which I could spend a whole year in this book, uh, but we've, it's four chapters. We've been ch- spending a, a chapter every single a week because what Paul does in this book is he gives you so many great things that if you work on incorporating them into your life, you will build a life that is truly, that feels it's worth living. And so we've been hitting that. And one of the reasons this book is so great and the content is so rich is because of the motivation behind it. If you know the story, Paul was, was in jail. And, and he, you know, in his day, you're putting in jail. Jail wasn't, didn't have hearings and defense attorneys and, and rights and all that. Listen, it was just an arm, a tool of the powerful to keep down those that weren't. And so he was there and he had no lawyer, no hearing, no promise of rights or anything like that. He was there because someone was mad at him that had the power to put him there. And this could easily become a life sentence. He had no guarantees that he would ever be out again. So imagine, you're in a situation, your freedom's ripped away from you, you're in this place, you may not ever get out again. That's a very real possibility. This may be the end of your life. You're given the opportunities to write to people. And that's what this book was. It didn't, it didn't have chapters and verses originally, it was just a letter. You had opportunity to write letters to people, and that could be taken away at any moment. So imagine if you're in this situation and you're writing to these people that you kind of started this church and they're kind of looking to you and this may be the last time you ever get to communicate with them. Think about the content that would be in that letter. It would be everything that you thought was important, that you thought was necessary, that they've got to get this. And, got to, and so that's what he's done. And so that's why this book is filled with rich stuff that when we build it into our lives, it can help us build a life worth living. So we pick up with the last chapter, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, joy in my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So he starts off this last chapter. He's really, he's writing this letter. He started bringing this letter to an end, and he brings up a fight, a fight that these two women are having, an intense fight. It is so intense, can't fight. It is so intense that even Paul has heard about it in captivity. Now, there are a lot of humorous statements that come to mind at this particular point which I can make. 
But because I do not want angry women coming up to me afterwards, because I fear angry women, we will simply go on. Anyway, there was, they were in this massive fight. It wasn't theological or moral. It was a, a, some type of relationship thing. Somebody may have done something to hurt somebody or they just didn't get along or something like that. But it's caused a lot of chaos within this church. It's caused a lot of people to be uncomfortable. And, it's gotten in the rep, and, and the problems that it's caused has gotten to the point that Paul ends up hearing about it in jail. And he's saying something has to be done with this. Something has to be approached to this. Now, what I find interesting is that God included that in, in this, you know? That God moved Paul to write this, to address this issue. And, and, and I, I think it's one way of, of God just saying through Paul, hey, I get it. I get it. Sometimes church and relationships is hard. Sometimes church is difficult because people are complicated. And sometimes people will say things that will offend you. Sometimes people will do things that will get on your nerves. Sometimes people will do things intentionally to hurt you. Sometimes they will do things not intentionally but will hurt you. Hey, I get it. Sometimes, hey, the church is in my name. The church is about truth and the church is about relationship. But when you bring people into that, that philosophy of what it's supposed to be about, sometimes it can get complicated and messy and people can get at each other's throat. People can get hurt and people can get angry with each other. And so it's kind of like Paul steps up and goes, yeah, I, I get it. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't go on and say, you know what, then just walk away from each other. You know, when someone gets on your nerves and, you know, you have done anything wrong, they've done everything wrong, which is what we see when we're usually in a fight. When that happens, you just walk away, bail, get out of there. And I bring that up because I believe that's one of the real weaknesses in both modern church as well as modern culture is that we have patience for nothing in anybody else. When it comes to other people, if they hurt us, if they anger us, if they get on our nerves, what we're to do is we're just to bail, we're just to walk away. There's no sense of investment anymore. It's about you be what I want you to be, and if you fall short of that, well then I'm going to abandon you and just go on to the next relationship until they don't measure up to my expectations, and I'll abandon that and I'll go to the next one. That's kind of where we become. That's why in church, it is, you find all the time, people left church, leave church, leave church. If someone gets on your nerves, if someone angers you, if someone hurts you, if someone betrays you, if something does something that you don't like or has made you angry or has hurt you, well, you just abandon that group of people and you go to the next one. It's kind of like the story. You've heard the story about the guy who was shipwrecked on an island, right? He's been there for years and years and years. One day a plane came over the island and a guy and the pilot had to look down and said, there's a guy there. They called, sent a rescue ship and a rescue ship came and he was rescued. And so the rescuers are asking about his life on the island and he's saying, yeah, this is my home. This is the structure that I built. This is where I lived. I just looked out every day hoping to see a ship coming. Like, well, what's that building down there? He said, well, that's my church because I never gave up on my faith. I never gave up believing God was going to rescue me. And he said, well, what's that building? So that's where I used to go to church until I got mad and then... I went down to that one. You know, that's where we come. And it's not just in church, it's just in culture today. In relationships, we throw away relationships so quickly. When people don't measure up to our expectations, when people have personalities that get on our nerves, when people fall short and they show their humanity, and sometimes we're caught in the crossfire of that, and we get hurt and we get angry in that, we just cast it off and go on to the next one that makes us feel okay. We've gotten to a place, I'm afraid, 
where the expectation for us is that we expect everybody else to put up, look past, and just deal with our imperfections, the things that we do that get on people's nerves. We expect people to put up with that, get beyond it, but yet we're unwilling to do the same thing for the imperfect people that will surround our life. Let me say something about you. You're not always easy to put up with. You know what? You're not always right. Even when you believe you're right and you're passionate about right, even in some of those situations, you aren't right. You're not right at the very least. You're not right sometimes in your response. And sometimes you say and do things that hurt other people, and sometimes, you, let's face it, you intend to hurt other people by those comments and the things that you... Sometimes you do things that you say and do things that hurt other people, and you don't intend to hurt someone, but they do, and you just go on. You make that casual comment, you say that casual word, and you just think it's funny, or you just dismiss it, you forgot it, but the person in which you cast it at is like a dagger, and they have the wound when you're off onto life. You do that. We all do that. And when you do that, you know what God's expectation for me is? Well, it's not to bail on you quickly. There's a lot of things in life that you do that aren't right, that are irritating, that get on my nerves, other people's nerves. But let's say me, get on my nerves. You know what I'm supposed to do with a lot of that? I'm supposed to let it go. I'm supposed to get beyond it because I realize I do the same thing to other people. And when you do things that hurt me, anger me, maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a careless word spoken. You know what I'm supposed to do with that? I'm supposed to work to let it go, to forgive you. And sometimes that will be easy. may take a moment, may take a day, may take a week. But even if it takes years and years and years to release it, and that's literally what the word forgiveness means. It means to release you of anything you might owe me because of an offense. That I believe you owe me because of an offense. Is to release you. Because what I know is God expects you to do the very same thing when it comes to me and everybody else. And how can I expect that you're going to do what God would have you do if I'm not doing with you what God expects out of me? Our culture is very me-centric. When we begin to follow Christ, we are called to be Christ-centric. And when you are Christ-centric, what ultimately comes with that is to be other people-centric as well. And that's why Paul doesn't ignore it. It had been easy for him. It's not my issue. I'm in jail. But he doesn't. Because he knows, what it, what, he knows the danger of not moving toward that forgiveness. And he knows what God expects of them. And so he deals with it. But, but, but he also goes on to say, hey, ladies, work it out. But then he also calls others, it says, to help them. I think Paul recognizes what we all know. And that there's moments in life where so there's people in our life where we see they are going at it. We see they have, they have angered each other, they have hurt each other, something has happened in that relationship, and there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, and we often either just stay out of it, or we have a tendency to gravitate toward one extreme or the other, and Paul says, you know what? When those moments come where there's people in your life that are in conflict with each other, God's expectation for you is not to ignore it, not to to just get with one, oh, yeah, you're right, and encourage it. 
God's expectation for you and me is to be that person that looks for that open window, to be the voice of God in that moment. And your goal is this. Your goal is to get one or the other to pause. Just pause. Pause in the rhetoric. Pause in the, in the retaliation. You know, you, to be the voice that gets them to say, just pause. Pause long enough to be able to hear what God desires for you to do in this moment. Not, it's not about them. I, 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 listen, we're not going to talk about them. Let's let God handle them. You talk to one and you say, hey, what the, I understand that you may have reasons and justification for your hurt and pain. I'm not discounting that. What I am wanting to be is that voice that just says pause. Just pause. There's always time to, more time. There'll be plenty of time to stay angry. There'll be plenty of time to retaliate. There'll be plenty of time to get back or to talk or to gossip. Listen, there's plenty of time for that. But what there's not plenty of time for you to do in this moment is just to pause and allow God to have the, the silence of a pause and the noise of the conflict just to hear what he might expect of you. That's what we are to be for other people. That's what Paul is calling on these other people to help for these two women. To look for those open windows. It doesn't mean just come and go because you've got to look for the right moment that the heart is open to it. But our job with each other is to take responsibility for each other's harmony. And be the one that doesn't ignore or try to, try to become a part of the, the conflict that comes when broken humans are together. But whether it's in our workplace or our family or in our church, we are to be... When we're not in it, we're to be that person that says, how do I get these people to pause long enough to just hear God in this? Because I promise you, in every conflict, if you'll take that moment to hear what God would have you do, he may not tell you to do what you want to do in that moment. He will always lead you to do what is best for you in that moment to get you out of the prison of anger and resentment and unforgiveness will be for you it always is it always is all whenever you hold on to that unforgiveness and resentment and anger and you justify and justify and you may be justified you justify and justify and justify and justify it all it becomes is a stronger and stronger and stronger prison for you and god wants you to experience freedom not a prison and so he says to these people hey one come on ladies this is not what god has for you this is not what God's expectation is for you. Just as, just as you expect God to forgive you and just as you expect people, you need to begin to move and, 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 and restore this relationship. But even if you can't, hey, everyone else there in Philippi, you're responsible to help make this happen. Take on the responsibility, the harmony of each other. And then he goes on in verse number four and says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness... Be known to everyone. He's kind of addressing those ladies in that whole conflict again. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, do not... Be anxious about anything. Now, why do you think he says that? 
Well, you know, he, he says it because he knows that's going to be your first impulse when life gets chaotic and stressful. I mean, I said this week in a video, if you send your uh, kids to, you know, a park down the street, you're not going to say, hey, now you go to the park, make sure and watch for sharks. Be careful of the sharks. You're not going to say that. Why? Because you know they're not going to encounter sharks at the park. You, you only tell them to be careful of the things that you know that they're going to encounter, things that you know they're going to have to navigate. And Paul steps up and says, hey, I want you to be anxious about nothing. Because one thing he knows is that living in this world, there is so much to be anxious about. It's not going to be very long before something comes down your way that you can worry about, that you can be anxious about, whether it is with money or whether your kids or marriage or relationships, health, your own security, fulfillment, the unknown sometimes, other people's opinion. There's just so much your job. There's just so much out there that you can be anxious about. And there's going to be some things that come into your life that you can't control. And they're going to bring so much chaos and stress. But the easy thing to do is to be anxious. That's the impulse. And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. In other words... He's saying this, here's my challenge for you. Here's the expectation for you. Is I'm calling you, Paul would say, to push back. Not to entertain or to give in to that initial impulse. To train your heart to push back and not embrace that first impulse when the chaos and the stress comes. Because unless you push back, unless you let those circumstances come and, and the anxiety and you feel it, the anxiety coming in, you feel the worry coming in and it makes sense to worry because of what's at stake and you feel all that closing in on you. Paul says that your first impulse is to embrace the anxiety and the stress. No, I'm telling you to push back against that because if you don't, what happens is this. The influence of that anxiety, that worry, grows. And it grows to a point that it begins to control your next step mentally. Where you go mentally, it will begin to control your next step emotionally. It can control your next step physically. That's the goal of that anxiety worry. It's just have growing influence in your heart and mind to where it can influence that next step. By Maybe it's just the next thought you have. Maybe it's the next emotion that you have. Maybe it's the next physical thing that you do. But it's going to do that. And once it gets there, once it has the influence for that next step, that next thought, that next emotion, that, that next uh, act, then it gains more influence. And then it's able to easier to have a bigger effect on the next step of emotions or the next step of thinking or the next step of action. And it constantly grows and grows like a virus till it has tremendous amount of influence in what you think in what you feel, and what you do. Here's what Paul understands. If we don't push back against the anxiety that is our first impulse when life gets crazy and, and, and stressful, if we don't push back against that, that, that anxiety and that worry will grow and grow and grow to a point in which it has greater influence, that that anxiety has more influence on you than your faith does. You can be a person of... Of faith. You believe in Jesus, but you can get to a place 
If you're not constantly pushing back against the anxiety and the worry that comes with this stress of life, if you don't constantly push back, you'll come to a place where where that anxiety has more influence in your life than any kind of faith you have in God. So he says, you've got to push back. You've got to constantly be working to push back and say, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to let it control my thinking. I'm not going to let it control my emotion. I'm pushing back. I'm pushing. I know what the landscape looks like. I know how I may feel in the moment. I know what it would be easy to feel worried and consumed with anxiety and defeated and overcome, but I'm going to push back on that. And then he begins to give you a manual on how to push back. And one of the things he says there in verse 6 is he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, we'll address that in a minute, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. I want to land there for just a moment because I think sometimes we fly past that part. But he says it's not just about bringing them to God, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's about also being as intentional about asking God for help, which we kind of automatically do. It's about making sure that we don't lose a sense of thankfulness amidst the worry and the chaos of the moment. Because what thankfulness does, when we keep it alive, and it's hard to keep it alive when it seems like things are going crazy and out of hand and there's no hope. It's hard to keep thankfulness alive. At that moment, we don't think we have anything to be thankful for because all we can see is what's not right. But what, why it's so important in those moments to work to keep thankfulness alive in our, in, our, in our hearts and minds is because it's what keeps our hearts and minds soft. It what keeps us from our hearts and minds becoming hard to hope, hard to God, hard to other people, hard to ourselves, hard to what's possible. And all of a sudden, when we don't keep thankfulness alive, all of a sudden we just get so consumed with anxiety and worry that our hearts and minds become hard and we just think there's no hope. I'm, do- I'm doomed. There's no way out. I'm forgotten. I'm alone. And all of a sudden, everything becomes bad and we look at everything through the hopelessness that we put on. But when we say in those moments, when everything's going crazy, the future doesn't look really bright. But one thing I must not ever lose is the thankfulness for what I have, what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the future, even though I don't see it, and what I believe he's going to do in the future. I've got to spend some time nurturing that. So I stop in the midst of the chaos and just say, God, I'm scared. I feel alone. I don't know what you're up to. I, f- I feel like you're not attentive, but, but, but I'm going to pray about that. But I want to take just a moment, God, just this morning, just to, to remind myself, you know what? You know, I've got a job. Maybe, that's, maybe the issue's not your life. I've got a job, God. I just want to say thank you for that because I can think, man, if that happened. God, i got my health. Or, God, i got this son that you gave me or this daughter that you gave me or this house that you gave me. I mean, you can find, I promise you, you can find things in life right now to be thankful for. In the midst of the chaos, it's not minimizing anything. It's in the midst of chaos. Just say, God, for just a moment, I'm going to get back and spend most of my time just saying, what's wrong, God? Where are you? But just for a moment, I want to take a time out. I just want to say thank you for what I do have and what you have done. And maybe it is reaching to the past and say, God, I look at the past and I've just seen, I'm so thankful that you brought me to here, you brought me through that, or you did this, you provide for me here, you gave me this talent, you gave me this gift, and we find those things, and I just want to spend a moment in the chaos just to remind myself of those things. And God, right now, I just want to say thank you that even though I don't feel you around, your word says that you'll never leave me for, or nor forsake me, and I just want to say thank you for that, or 
list the thing that you're thankful for right now. And God, I just want to spend a moment. I am thankful for the fact that I don't know where to go forward, but I know that you do. And I just want to thank you ahead for how you're going to bring me through this, though I have no idea how. And it is so important for your mental health, for your emotional health, and ultimately for your physical health to when you're in that chaos, to value as much as running to God and asking for His intervention. As much as you will value that automatically, it is as important to value thanking God for the things that you have to thank for. Because if you don't, your heart and your mind become hard, and that's when hopelessness and defeatism rules you. And he says, so, so keep that thankfulness alive. Do whatever it takes just to remind yourself of what you have to be thankful for in the midst of stuff that is so difficult to see it. That's when it's important the most to see what you're thankful for. Not when everything's good. He says, and in all that, bring your request to God. Now then, we have a tendency on this to bring our request to God and expect God to answer immediately. And if we don't, then there's something wrong with us. And sometimes God does answer immediately, but God warned us a long time ago that it may take a good amount of time to get him to move and act. In fact, I want to read you a verse that you've probably heard, but you may not know the way in which Jesus intended it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, you've heard that verse, right? What you may not know about those verses is when Jesus said it, the Greek language was originally written in has different forms in which you could write different ways and expresses different things. When you wrote a verb, if you put it in the present tense, there's a, there's a distinct thing about the present tense. It was always used when you wanted to know, not time, but as much as repetition. Present tense you would use on a verb, I'm going somewhere, when you wanted to emphasize repetitive action or continuous action. So let me read this again, using that emphasis that is in that word and used to kind of bring out that emphasis. It would literally, what Jesus was saying was this. Continually ask, and it will be given to you. Continually seek, and you will find repetitively knock or pound and the door will be open to you. For everyone who repetitively or continually asks receives. The one who continually seeks finds. And the one who continuously, repetitively bangs on the door will be open. Quite literally, Jesus is saying, hey, when it comes to asking me, know this, sometimes you're going to ask and things are going to come, but sometimes I'm going to tell you ahead of time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring everything to me, and I want you to annoy me until I respond. I want you to ask and ask and ask, and don't wonder whether I'm getting tired of you asking. You keep asking, and when I don't move, don't think I'm not listening. I'm seeing if you're going to still ask. If you still believe, if I don't respond immediately, do you still believe that I'm the only hope you have? And so you're going to come, and you're going to ask, and you're ask, and you're ask, and you're going to seek, and you're going to seek, and you're going to seek. You're going to get into my word. You're going to come and hear God's word. You're going to seek, and you, when it comes to the heaven's door, you're going to pound on that door, and you're going to pound. You're not going to let me sleep. Because you're going to be pounding so hard on the door that if nothing else, I'm going to get so annoyed at you coming that I'm going to open the door and go, what do you want? 
That's what Jesus is saying. And I say this because one of the things that burdens me is I believe we give up right before we see a breakthrough. I believe we pray, and we may pray for a period of time, and when we don't see God change our circumstances, if we don't see God change our situation, if we aren't emotionally moved, then we just give up because we think if God isn't responding to our pain on our timeline, then he must not care, or he must not be able to do anything about it, or we must deserve it. And Jesus would say to that, hey, I told you, long time ago when I was on the earth I told you what it's going to take sometimes I want you to come and come and come and come and come and come and come I'm inviting you in fact there's a story about this very thing where where there's a about a guy who knocks on the door knocks on the door wants something from his neighbor and he knocks not to finally the neighbor opens up the door and says stop knocking here's what you want and it's the context of how we approach the father and I tell you There are things and times in my life where chaos and stress has invaded my reality and I prayed for God for a change out of desperation and he did it right then. Right then. Almost miraculous. If you ever hear the story of of Kinsey's birth, I mean, I've seen miracles, man. There have been other moments There are things in my life right now that I have brought to God for years. Years. Praying, praying, praying for God's intervention, for God's activity, for God to do something in this part of my life. And I have prayed that for years because of the desire for the relief of anxiety and worry that He brings. And God hasn't responded And I have a choice. I can choose to believe that God doesn't care, which would go against everything else I believe, go against his word, what he said about himself. That God is inattentive, which goes against what God said. I'd be calling God a liar. Or I can choose to believe that God is still wanting me to bang on the door. And let me tell you, I have to say this, I don't want to say this because I don't want God to hear this. Because God hasn't answered I'll tell you along the way, it has taught me some things about myself, about my response to things, about my faith, its depth or its lack of depth. It has taught me a lot by him not answering. Now, I would love to tell God that I've already learned all I need to learn. But here's what I know. This is not new territory. The comfort I have is in the scripture it wasn't that I'm just out here like, why isn't this happen? Why is this happening? I just go to his word and, and find that God told me a long time ago, this is going to happen. So don't give up hope. Don't give it, think that because I'm not responding that I, I don't care. Listen, I told you there's going to be th- times in your life, there are going to be things in your life that some you're going to pray and I'm going to answer immediately. And some you're going to have to bang and bang and bang and bang and bang on the door. But one thing I'm not going to do, let me tell you, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give up banging until I see a breakthrough. Because I think the thing that, that we suffer from more than anything else is many of us give up believing, give up trusting, And give up banging on that door until we see a breakthrough. And what do we give up to? We give up to hopelessness, defeatism, 
and loneliness. And so Paul says, hey, push back. Push back against the anxiety and stress. That's going to be your first impulse when life gets crazy. Push back against that. You push back by keeping your heart thankfulness alive and you push back by bringing things to God, pound on the door of heaven and sometimes God will respond immediately. Sometimes he won't but you keep pounding and he says when you do that, here's what's going to happen. Verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say when you do that, the problems that you face in life are going to disappear. Or the circumstances are going to instantly become calm. They might, but he doesn't promise that. No, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something better than that. What's going to happen is, I'm going to, if you continue to keep banging on the door, trusting that one day I'm going to answer, that's just going to build faith in you. And if you keep just your heart soft with thankfulness, you always make that a priority to remind yourself in the midst of it all to be thankful. What you can be thankful for and you do that. What's going to happen is you're going to grow this kind of peace in you that even when life is crazy, there is this peace that, is, that you can't even understand why you have it. There is this inner calm despite the outer storm that's happening going on around you and it's a peace that, that, that you can't explain it to somebody but it is what will carry you through until God opens that door. And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, As finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Literal translation, set your mind, focus on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He gives the last thing we're doing, not only to bring it to him, not only work to keep thankfulness alive, but he gives us one last thing. He says, listen, if all you do when life is normal, and life is fine, life is okay, if you just fill your mind with negative things, you know, just kind of always go into the negative. If you fill your mind with worrisome things, what could happen? And, and even things that we think are unconnected. If you fill your mind with things that are crude or lustful, short-sighted, self-centered, and if you're just not mindful of what you put into your mind on good days, then when life gets chaotic, and when life gets stressful, and when life gets worrisome, you can't expect your mind to suddenly think differently. All of a sudden to have tremendous amount of confidence in God, and all of a sudden to have tremendous faith. Because what you've been working, what you've been filling your mind with is not things where you build up that confidence in the faith. It's kind of like going to the gym. You know, you can't expect in a moment where you need tremendous amount of strength for you just have it if you never show up the gym and get ready for it on the days you don't need a tremendous amount of strength. No gym is the easier way to live, but there's no strength when you need it. The same thing is true with the mind. When you train your mind to think right and good on, on normal days, then it will have the ability to think right and good on the stressful days. 
And so he says, set your mind on the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. On the good and normal days, be intentional about that. So that when life is difficult, when life is chaotic, your mind will be prepared not to be overwhelmed by the, the anxiety and the worry of the moment. How often are you controlling where your mind goes or does your mind control where you go emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to some extent? It all goes back to what you do, not in the moment you're overwhelmed, but what you do in the moments that life is normal. Are you very mindful of where you put your eyes, what you listen to, who you hang around because the conversation they're in? Are you mindful of how much truth you're putting to your life? That's why I commend you to come, that you're here this morning because you put yourself in a place this morning. Why? To put truth into your mind. And, and life may be great for you. You may be hitting the best moment of your life. It's important, more important than you do it now because when life is chaotic and stressful, at that moment it's hard to receive good and new stuff. You're just depending upon what you've already trained your mind to think so when you train your mind to think and when you fill your mind and focus your mind and protect your mind from being pulled away and and focused and and filled with things of worry and negative and jumping in the negative talk and the lustful things that are out there and filling your mind with those things when life is normal when you're mindful to keep that out and fill it what's good then when you can't even think because you're in the whirlwind of stress and anxiety you don't have to worry about thinking because your mind is going to do what it's trained to do. And if it's trained to go back and believe these things and know these things, it's going to say to you, emotion, you, emotional part of you, stop it. We're not going there because this is what I'm thinking. And all of a sudden, your mind takes you in the right direction. But it all comes down. And why Paul puts this in there is what you do with your mind on the good day why spending time in scripture is important why spending time in worship is important why spending time with the right friends who speak the right things is important why staying away from people who gossip and people who are negative if you're negative you, listen God tells people not to be your friend by the way I'll show you the verse if you're negative and gossipy God says because stay away from those people so that you can train your mind on the good days to think and be filled with what is right so that when anxiety and stress come your mind will take you where you need to be even if your emotions is pulling you in another direction. And that's how Paul ends this. And here I want to end it. I want to end it this morning with us doing just that. Asking God to help us know how to train our mind. To say, God, when we finish, I'm just going to pray in a minute. I just want all of us to say, God, I want you to help me to think what is right, to value putting your scripture into my mind, to value hanging around people who speak well and right and doesn't trash and talk and, 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 and crude talk. God, help me hang around people who will help feed my mind with what is good. Help me to understand the value of worship and truth so that I can train my mind to think right so that at moment where I can't control because I'm so in the whirlwind moment, my mind will take me to where I need to be and get me through the chaos and not be overcome with anxiety and depression because I've trained it how to 